Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Metro editor Greg Jefferson. And it's just uh, going to be the two of us, uh, uh, Carrie and, and Nancy, are uh, they're taking a much deserved uh, vacation this week. And uh, I mean, not, they'll be not just the two of us. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah. Well, that's that's where I'm going with this. Um, yeah. But we have uh, a guest who's going to help us make a lot more sense of the, uh, the the recent midterm elections. Laura Barbarena is uh, we've, we've, she's been a familiar guest on our podcast. She's uh, the owner of the uh, political communications firm Viva Politics. She's been a con- campaign consultant and a campaign manager on tons of successful campaigns in San Antonio, South Texas, and as we're going to talk about um, today. Outside of the state of Texas, Laura, thank you so much for being with oh, us. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love being here. Thanks for having me again. Um, you played a major role in two of the biggest races and two of the uh, successful campaigns: uh, Peter Sakai, who ran for county judge, and uh, Joe Gonzalez, who was reelected district attorney. And I wanted to start with the district attorney's race because I thought one um, you had Mark LaHood. It was a very interesting dynamic. You had Mark LaHood, the Republican candidate, who is the the brother of the former DA who Joe Gonzalez beat in a Democratic primary um, four years earlier. And Mark LaHood made a pretty aggressive push to uh, to say that Joe Gonzalez had been soft on crime and the concerns that, that people around the country have about crime. He was really kind of pinning all that on Joe Gonzalez. How did the campaign uh, deal with that? that argument. And, and I, I, th- I know you had some concerns about some of the, the you know, the, the, the advertising messaging that was coming yeah, from the LaHood well, First of all, it, it did feel a little bit, at least initially, like deja vu all over again, because it was LaHood versus Gonzalez. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we were very fortunate that we had this thing called polling. Oh, I love it. We have polling. Polling is, it really helps in any campaign. Was it pretty accurate? Yeah, it was pretty accurate. So we knew going in that we were in a in a good position uh, in terms of name ID and the possibility of, of Joe winning it. But it was still a tight margin. And, you know, these so-called independent voters, you know, depending on which way they swung, could mm-hmm. determine the outcome of the election. And when we did the poll, this was prior to um, LaHood really getting aggressive on this sort of, you know, the world is the sky is falling and there's murder around every corner and you can blame Joe Gonzalez for that. Right. Um, so I was just concerned and I was a little surprised, too, that he was able to raise as much money as he did from out of, out of state packs and other folks to really you know, have that message be um, out there in the public in a way that I didn't think it could be. So when we had done our initial poll, that message hadn't been out there. So um, as we started moving forward, I was a little concerned, right? Because, you know, we have all seen crime going up as we've seen it in every city across the nation. So this is not unique to San Antonio. And and certainly I don't think you can, you know, put it at the feet of every district attorney across the nation. Um, you know, I think it we can get into that conversation about, you know, what are the causes um, and the proliferation of guns in in, in our society, but um, yeah, so I was a little concerned going into it that maybe we might be um, might be facing a, a, a up more uphill battle than I initially thought. So um, how good yeah. would how, how good of a position was he in according to your first poll? Uh, 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 yeah, like first numbers. Poll? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 The horse race oh part my of goodness. it. Like how, you make me. Um, yeah. Well, we oh, were we no we were like at <laughs> we were like at forty. We weren't quite at fifty. So that oh. was the thing that made me worried, right? Okay. So we were like at forty eight, forty nine, oh. and we had him down like in the mid thirties. So yeah. uh, LaHood in the mid thirties. So yeah, yeah. again, but with this huge 
gap of where could these people go, right? I mean, they mm. literally, if they all turn to LaHood, we could be in trouble, right? Um, mm. uh, and then, um, as you know, and, and Gilbert and I, you and I had kind of talked about this off air, and it was just this, I don't know what it was about this midterm. For me, just the proliferation of misinformation in a way that I have never seen before, starting from the primary running all the way through November. Um, you know, and I've been doing politics for over 20 years now, and it worries me as not just a consultant, but as an American, that we are normalizing this misinformation. And it concerns me because as someone who works in campaigns, how do we fight back, right? I mean, sort of like the the you know politics 101 when you're hit with a negative ad you're supposed to respond in the medium in which you're hit right so in other words if i get hit on facebook you know saying that i eat, you know dead kittens in the backyard then i should respond that i don't eat kittens in the backyard on facebook right um so that way you're not echoing this message to a broader audience well when they start doing it on television now you're talking about matching literally hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and how do you do that right and 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 unfortunately, um, Mark LaHood, and I have to be careful because I don't want to get sued here because I can't call him a liar. But what I can say is that he was, you know, he's spreading misinformation, frankly, false information. And so, you know, I was very concerned and I was like, what do you do? Right. Well, and and I was, I think I was sharing this to you, Gilbert. When I first got into this business, when we would do a television ad, you would submit four things, the commercial itself, the script. An NAB form, this is a form that you fill out that you, that's part of um, how you um, report who's spending and who's behind the money. And then the last thing was what we called substantiation. So if I made any claim on this television spot, I had to substantiate it with written documentation. If I say that, you know, Greg Jefferson stands against climate, con- you know, climate change, I have to show where you said that, right, on your website mm-hmm. or in a speech. I had to be able to prove that when I submitted my commercial. That doesn't exist anymore. So what's happened when is- When did that change? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I was trying yeah, to figure this out. I'm yeah. like, I'm not sure how this all happened, mm-hmm. but it's happening. Um, and I would say definitely in the last, you know, definitely since 2016 for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but this is just terribly concerning. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because candidates like Mark LaHood were putting out messages that said Joe did not prosecute fentanyl cases. 100% inaccurate. Absolutely inaccurate. What do I do? What are my choices? Hmm. Well, first thing is like, you know, all right, I'll call the TV station. I'll say, you know, you're running Mm -hmm. a false ad. So that's exactly what I did. I called the station manager. I talked to him. I said, hey, you know, this this is ad is incorrect. Here's the documentation that proves that we actually do, that Joe actually has prosecuted fentanyl. Here's the cases. In fact, not only are there cases, but there are cases in which Mark LaHood defended the person who was accused of it. So he can't claim that he didn't know about it, right? So then the station manager's like, well, we'll send this up to our attorneys. And I'm like, oh, here we go, right? (laughs) So then I thought, okay, well, now I'm talking about doing a cease and assist letter, like, which means involving attorneys, which means paying Mm -hmm. money, which, Mm -hmm. and I'm just Mm -hmm. like, what is going on here? Uh, And then eventually, the attorneys got back to me and they said, and they cited the Communications Act of 1934 or 39 or some, something in the 30s and said that because it is candidate speech, we cannot censor it. And I thought, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So I literally can go on air as a candidate mm. and say whatever the hell I want to say. Mm. And as a station, you're not going to stop me because you're censoring me? 
Mm-hmm. Now, what is this? What is what are the implications of this? And what even worries me more is that this is happening on local television, not national television, not at a mm-hmm. presidential level, at local politics. And we all know that the literature shows that when it comes to local news and local news programming and, and local station, people really trust those means of communications. Uh, and so it was just, I was very frustrated. What did you do at that point? When you- uh, at that point, um, uh, we cut a commercial and put money behind mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. say, uh, that's not true. That, that's yeah. all we could do. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened with the Express News. Um, they ran an, an ad, mm-hmm. and they being uh, Sapoa, ran mm-hmm. an ad that was not correct. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I call Greg Jefferson. Greg, <laughs> what do I do? Right. And Greg says, well, that's not my department. Yeah. Let me, let me yeah. right, direct right. you to whom you need to speak to. So yeah. uh, I got to tar- talk to um, Mark Medici. And I will tell you, throughout this cycle, it was, uh, and I'm not saying that just because I'm here. But Mark listened to me. He took what I had to say uh, seriously. He asked me for certain pieces of information to prove that the ad was actually incorrect, Mm. which I provided to him. And then he went back and told the advertiser, which in this case was Sapoa and and the Sheriff's Association, your article is false. You need to correct it. And I thought, hallelujah. Like how simple. That's all I was asking. Mm -hmm. You know, just put out accurate information for the public and let the public decide who they want to vote on, vote for based on true and accurate information. And I just want to publicly thank Mark for, you know, take, you know, and I mean, he didn't bend over backwards for me. Don't get me wrong. Like he wasn't like, sure, louder, you're 100% right now. He just said, look, let's, let's do what's fair. You tell me, show me the information. I will present it to them. I give them an opportunity to respond. And he did so. You know, I personally would have liked the, or the ad to been uh, actually, Revised even more so, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. But uh, but Mark did listen to me and did take out what I felt was the most egregious part of the ad. Yeah, he took it out. So. Just, just for clarity's sake, I should note that th- she's talking about Mark Medici, our publisher, Correct. publisher yeah. of the Express News, which yeah. is different from Mark Devoisson, who is our executive editor. Right, separate thing. We keep, you know, we yeah. on the news side, it's like a priesthood. <laughs> over there, it's anything goes. No, no, yeah. he's yeah, he's our publisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. One thing that I was I was curious about uh, w- w- what your experiences were with this in this cycle because um, it's not a new issue, but I I heard people talking about it more this year than I had in the past, which is the issue of Spanish language ads because a lot of a lot of what's put out in Spanish language political ads uh, kind of flies under the radar. A lot of the you know mainstream media or English language media doesn't um, you know it, it's not noticed. And uh, I mean, I, I I can think of of, of one particular ad from a, a 2014 campaign, which I won't get into, but it was a, a local ad that was extreme, and 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 I think we we sometimes see just language put across in in, in Spanish language ads um, with the sense that anything any yeah. anything goes. Yeah, I don't know if, if that yeah. has that been your experience, or did you find yeah. that this cycle? I I I'd heard about it. Um, we didn't experience too much in, in the campaigns that that we were running, but definitely that's something I think we need to keep our eye on because you know um, I think we talk about you know these area these modes of communication that are niche, right? Spanish language. We're talking to a specific audience, and they really just take advantage of that and think that 
the larger audience isn't going to find out about it. But what we're saying is that people are talking about like, hey, did you see this ad? Like, you know, um, people that watch Spanish television also watch English television. So, you know, so they're seeing the different messages and being able to identify the fact that they're that they're different. Um, So in in the uh, race for county judge, you had Peter Sakai uh, running against uh, the Republican nominee, uh, Trista Berry. And um, I completely uh, inaccurately predicted that this was going to be a really civil campaign because I thought there aren't going to be there aren't really going to be like huge um, policy uh, arguments between them. And I think, you know, certainly Peter Sakai is somebody who's respected uh, during his time, uh, you know, his judicial career. And I just didn't think there was going to be a lot of stuff, uh, you know, flying around. Um, but I mean, one issue that came up was there was a dark money ad running against Trisha Berry and she accused um, uh, Thomas J. Henry of being behind the ad and said that um, uh, that Peter Sakai knew about it or, or she or she, well, she, accused, she she accused him of knowing about she it. She accused us yeah. as a campaign team and him of knowing. She about also it. Uh, she also went after him over a, you know really difficult case that he dealt with many years ago where you had a, a young child. Uh, killed by a mother. Uh, it was a case that he dealt with and which he has had talked openly about and how pain, painful that was for him and how he really had to reevaluate with his, you know, what he was going to do with his career. Uh, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that nobody could re- really foreseen. If you, if you look at the evidence that he had, uh, I, mean, I wrote about it. I thought it was a really unfair attack on, on her part against, against him. But I'm curious how you dealt with those, those things, which came yeah. up relatively late in the campaign. Well, we knew they were coming. Uh, in fact, we kind of had prepped for that, you know, sort of one of the things I sit with my clients is we we actually put together a campaign to beat ourselves, right? Like, what's it going to take to beat us? And what what are the messages they're going to use against us? So we knew immediately that that, that particular case was going to be one that they were going to use against us. I'm surprised it wasn't used in the primary, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it didn't come over the summer, I thought, huh, okay, maybe it's not coming. Maybe it's not coming. And then it was, I think it was meant to be sort of the October surprise, right? right? Um, and, you know, I think at that point, it was um, late in the game, first mm, of all, yeah. um, because you know, you know, Peter is a very unique candidate. One that he's Asian American in a predominantly Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. But when when I would be out in the <laughs> out on the campaign trail with him, and we'd go to a restaurant or go to an event or something, I was just fascinated by the amount of people who'd come up to him and say, "Thank you so much. You saved my daughter's life. You got her out of." this you know horrible situation you gave her her child back now they're yeah i mean constant stories up mm-hmm. until election day mm-hmm. we were at we were uh, at maverick library and a woman came up to us a retired teacher talked about thank you so much for saving my baby she starts crying and saying you know you gave my daughter her life back da, 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 da. and i'm just like wow like so i really think people underestimated the number of people that he touched every single day uh, as a judge and what that what those touches meant to families across across Bear County um so when this particular attack came i knew that he i actually talked to him about it not so much in a in a campaign sense but really just like are you ready for this personally like when you run for office you put a lot on the line you put a lot on the line um you sacrifice family you sacrifice you know personal wealth, you've, you've sacrificed a lot. Um, and I was just concerned, you know, emotionally, like, could he handle the fact that, cause I knew he struggled with this and he talked about it openly, how he took time off and really debated whether or not he should continue to be a judge after he, that decision was made. And he decided, no, that, you know, he could continue to 
better and, and better things for the community if he stayed on. Um, and I think, you know, I, I know it, I could tell it hurt him that she went there, but we knew she was going to go there. I mean, it just, it, it, and the ironic thing is then two weeks later, she came out with a commercial with Cindy Cryer that was a, that was a, um, like a, a testimonial for her. And I was like, why didn't you come out with that one three months ago? Like mm-hmm. it was really the best spot Trish mm-hmm. ever did because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it was so positive and talked about Trish and, you know, just, you know, sort of continuing the legacy and da, 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 da. And I thought that's interesting that, you know, she decided to close with that. I think that was a much stronger message that she could have led into going in October. Right. So I think a lot of people were surprised by how bitter the campaign became, but I mean, are you surprised that it took the turn that it did. Because, I mean, it seems like if you have two candidates who are very close on most of the issues, one's clearly got, you know, he's he's kind of clearly the forerunner. Well, what do you expect the other person to do? Yeah. I mean, what were you yeah. anticipating from, from DeBerry? I, I was I was I was expecting a little bit more of civil discourse. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we say politics is a place for us to mediate our differences, right? Um, there were a couple things that surprised me. One is when she made the doctor no comment. I know what she was trying to say. But uh, by the way, did you did you take that as an ethnic slur? Which is I am a huge James Bond fan, yeah. so I immediately recognized what she was making reference to, mm-hmm. right? And I also am a James Bond fan that I knew that this character was half Asian, and the fact that it was played by like I knew the whole thing because mm-hmm. I'm a major James Bond fanatic. Uh, many people didn't know about that, <laughs> so I'm kind of weird in that way. So I was like, mm-hmm. man, that's racist. And everybody was looking at me, what? I'm like, uh, Dr. No, Asian, hello. And they were like, okay. Um, and Peter was like, well, you know, I'm, I, I just, I just, he just took it as sort of name calling, right? So this mm. sort of this Trumpism, which now is a wonderful uh, adjective that we now use in politics, this, this Trump, Trumpian way of, of just getting into this name calling, right? Which is really taking political discourse to the, its very lowest level, Um and so I expected when we called her out on it that she would do the old, I'm so sorry, I didn't intend it to be racist. What I was trying to say was X, Y, Z, and then double down on X, Y, Z. Instead, she doubled down on the, no, it's not racist, it's not racist, it's not racist. And I just thought, man, have you ever been in an HR class where they talk to you about, you know, um, you know sexual, um, like, like workplace, uh, what do you call it? Um, what do you call it? Se- like... Um, Help me. It's harassment. Thank you. Like sexual harassment, right? Like, you know, I'm not intending to sexually harass you, but I might say an off color joke that you then take offensive. And it's not whether or not I intended, it's the way you take it, right? That's, that's what you learn, right? That it's not who says it, it's the receiver, right? Uh, And the fact that she just sort of discounted that and was just insistent. uh, And I was kind of surprised by that because I, I kind of expected her to just double down on what her overall message was rather than double down on the name calling. And she kind of doubled down on the name calling. And I was kind of surprised by that because I expected I, I you know, Trish is not um is not dumb. She's mm-hmm. a very smart, intelligent woman. And I really expected her to take it more towards um the criticism that she was making, which was a fair criticism, right? And I feel was definitely within play. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. the the manner in which she took it, I felt was mm-hmm. not really appropriate. I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but a f- about uh, s- six months before the election, there was a meeting of, of Republican precinct chairs because you had 
candidates for the uh, county commissioner seat that Trish had vacated. They were all kind of gathering together and kind of making the case for themselves. And you had these precinct chairs, uh, uh, mainly from the, the north side, all meeting. And uh, Greg Brockhouse, former councilman who was running Trish's campaign, got up and he said, you know, we're going to make history. This is going to be a red wave. She's going to get elected county judge. Mark LaHood's going to, going to win his race. And said, I've been talking to the governor's people, and they think the governor is going to carry Bayer County. And of course, none of those things happened, uh, came close to happening. And it was really uh, kind of a, a, given that we had a Democratic president in office and the way midterms generally work, it was remarkable that we didn't, you know, we had in 2014 when we had Barack Obama in the White House, I mean, we had a lot of uh, judges, Democratic judges, got, got swept out of office. Um, there was <laughs> some thought earlier this year that that might happen again. Um, when you look at what happened, I mean, because Democrats just swept these races and the margins were so close from one race to another. It just, it, and we talked about this in the podcast, the fact that we don't have uh, a straight ticket voting anymore, but it, it just, it, it had the, it, it, <laughs> yeah, looked, like pretty, pretty it looked like an old election <laughs> where it was just, people are like, I'm voting for this Democrat and that Democrat. And what happened uh, that, uh, it, what were the big, I mean, we've talked about the the abortion issue and other things, yeah. uh, but what, what do you think played play the well, biggest I, role? I do. Obviously, I think the ab abortion issue was huge in terms of, you know, I mean, honestly, think about this midterm election. What does it matter? Right. Like, I mean, you think about it to the average person. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're kind of political junkies here. So for us, it's like the whole world matters. Right. But for most people, it's kind of like, eh. You know, I mean, I don't have a transgender kid, so it doesn't really affect me. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have a job in oil, so you know, energy doesn't really affect me. So you know, it's like sort of what are these issues really relevant to people? Mm -hmm. um, and and even a little bit on the abortion issue too, because I, you know, I don't think, um, I mean, I do think there's some women obviously who were really ignited by that, and it created a ground swelling. But I think it's more. I feel it was more about getting people involved in the process and creating the infrastructure needed to get people out to vote rather than the issue itself, mm. right? So I think that that issue got women really invested in the election and said, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to get low propensity voters out, right? Um, maybe they used the abortion issue. Maybe they used, uh, you know, uh, public education. Maybe they used uh, expanding Medicare, right? like, you know, whatever issue they used. But that that I think those kinds of issues ignited people to try to get what we call the low propensity voters who don't vote in these midterm elections to vote, right? Because um, for us, it's like, who are these people that don't vote in midterms? Well, it's a lot of people because it's – you know, really, it, you're not getting the presidential attention. You're not getting these sort of, you know, I mean, we saw a lot of TV commercials, but certainly not like there were in Arizona and other states. But um, I just think that these kinds of issues are what ignited what I would call like our, our base <laughs> folks that, you know, really care about politics and got them invested to get others who aren't invested out, right? So, um, and to talk to their neighbors and talk to their family members to get them out to come to come to vote. I think that's what happened. One of the things that I didn't realize until after election day was the role that you played in the campaign of Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada. She's the Democratic U.S. Senator from Nevada and was, I think, widely seen as the most vulnerable uh, Democratic incumbent in this election cycle. And uh, it was a very close race. She ended up winning and that her victory uh, secured the Democratic uh, majority in the U.S. Senate. Um, 
you so you directed yes, ads for yes, were, were so, these were these English language ads or yeah Spanish? they're Spanish language ads so I got to travel to Arizona I mean to Nevada several times to go out there and direct some commercials um, both with folks that were not her <laughs> just you know Latinos there in the community but then also got an opportunity to direct her in a couple of commercials as well um, just a delight to work with um, uh, and all in Spanish and. Really, um, I felt like I was out there trying to save democracy. We got a joke. It's like, what do you, what do, you do, Laura? I, I try to save democracy. <laughs> but uh, it was it was really just a delight to meet her and talk with her. And she's just a, a really great person, really down to earth. Um, we shot in a in a Mexican panaderia uh, in in Nevada in in Las Vegas, and uh, she actually we, we got her to eat a piece of sweet bread and and smile in the camera, and she was just a delight to work with. Well, so I'm really proud of. Were the big able themes in the in the ads that you directed? I mean, um, really about uh, economics, real economic development, and not economic development, but you know, sort of um, the importance of supporting small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, we did several spots talking about small businesses and and the importance of bringing down those um, dollars from the federal government to assist small businesses to ensure their uh, viability and helping them get through COVID, really. Because, you know, uh, a lot of Hispanics own, are owners of small businesses and getting through COVID was a real challenge for them. So the fact that she brought down these federal dollars was a, was a huge help. So, but I will tell you, the owners of that panaderia were just so kind. They just like gave us all the sweet bread we could eat, and then some. <laughs> it was really. She wonderful. was behind. I mean, if you you're watching yeah. this, I mean, there were even. I think uh, optimistic Democrats were really wondering if she was going to be able to overcome yeah. that margin. And then as the you know the the mail votes started getting counted, and it yeah. started to turn a little bit. But it was very very close. I mean, were you a nervous wreck? Yeah, as I was a, a bit nervous. Um, also, did some work with the governor there, Sisolak. Uh, did several spots with him, and unfortunately, he he fell short. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we were we were all very very nervous, especially watching Georgia as well and seeing what was going to happen there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a real privilege to be able to work on these national campaigns of national importance and to be able to come in and use my skills, um, as a director and, and to make sure that we get the commercial we need to, to get us over the top. You know, we've, uh, we talked about how Democrats are very successful in Bear County. The Democrats probably overachieved nationally, although they lost some house seats and lost control of, of the U S house. Um, but Republicans maintain their dominance at the state level. Um, and it's, it's become a really familiar song to Democrats, just this, you know, the high hopes and then losing by, you know, double digits in statewide races. Um, this is, we could probably do several podcasts on this, <laughs> on this question. So forgive yeah. me on this, but it's, no. but it's, you know, when you see politically what, what Democrats, uh, the, the messaging strategies from Democrats, because that's something that you really specialize in. Where do you think Democrats are falling short on that? On that well, front? you know, one of the things that we were, I, I had the opportunity through my work with Emerson College polling to travel across the country this last year and do focus groups with Latinos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only registered voting Latinos, but also non-registered Latinos who were eligible to vote, but just didn't vote. So going around talking to these communities about, you know, what are the most important issues to them? What does it mean to be a, a good citizen? What do the parties represent to you? And how do they speak to Latinos? And throughout my travels, I was just so shocked, surprised, dismayed, <laughs> that when it came to Republican messaging, they all knew that, almost verbatim, like they could say verbatim these immigrate like issues around immigration, like they would almost verbatim say, you know, 
I have a house. Why would I leave my front door open and let anyone walk in? Like literally you heard that language across the country. Um, but when it came to Latinos talking about Democrats, there was no cohesive message at all. You never heard them. T- I never heard once Build Back Better, not a single time. No one ever talked about Build Back <laughs> no. Better. Um, no one ever said, wow, I'm really voting for infrastructure. No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, ultimately, what and, and sort of my takeaway, and I'm hoping to write an academic paper on this, is that it just comes down to the economy. And I say economy, me, myself, and I. What does the economy do and affect my life, right? How does it affect me? What does it mean for gas prices? What does it mean for my electricity bill? What does it mean for my groceries? Like, that's what people really, really care about. And these are things that Democrats really could have conversations about because they passed the, what is it, the um, ability to negotiate with pharmaceutical companies. And we've seen them being able to control drug prices, right? But that never came across in any of these focus groups. No one ever talked about sort of this cohesive message of what the Democrats were doing. And when we, and I also heard lots of talk about Trump, a little bit about Biden, but Trump is very much the dominating force when it comes to what we think about the Republican brand. And what were they saying? Um, (laughs) You're going to love this. They would say things like, well, he's a racist. I don't like what he says, but he's a very successful businessman, and I was doing better when he was president. He was things were better when he was president. They would say that, uh, and that was um, for me um, very insightful because I thought, wow, okay. Again, it comes down to the economy, right? When I was paying less at the gas pump. When he was president. Now he's not president. I'm paying more. Prices are going up. I can't afford a home anymore. Lots of discussions about home ownership and the ability to afford a home, uh, especially in Nevada, in Las Vegas. So So if they were kind of repeating Republican talking points on, Mm -hmm. on immigration. Like how important was immigration to them as an issue? And if 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 it was all about it, the economy, as you say, yeah. like how did how w- did how yeah. did they how did they view immigration policy in terms of that? Well, interestingly enough, it wasn't like it wasn't like oh they're helping us and the Democrats are failing us. Mm-hmm. The the language that that all the groups showed were that both parties were failing them. That what's happening is lots and lots and lots of promises about immigration reform, and nothing happening. That was that was a consistent uh, line throughout the groups, which was both are, pro- are promising a lot, mm-hmm. but few are actually they're not actually delivering. Mm-hmm. Um, in Florida, a, a little bit different. Miami's just a little bit different because you have um, uh, I think uh, folks are a little bit tend to be a little bit more Republican there in the Miami area, mm-hmm. so they tended to. Um, Kind of get into that, you know, if you want to come to this country, you got to get in line, you know, mm. that whole that whole talk about, you know, you've got to wait for your turn, that kind of language. Uh, that that was very prominent in, in Miami. But in other places, it's, hey, we need workers. They should they should be letting people in. Mm. People have a connection to Im- the immigrant community, whether they're family or family members. So they know that there's, mm. you know, people that want to come here, um, you know, to 
make a better life for their families. Right. Did did any of them mention uh, Governor Greg Abbott's busing of asylum seekers <laughs> to Washington and yeah. New York? No, and that kind of happened a little bit later. Oh, later. Yeah, okay. later. Okay. But I I will tell you that just on a, for me personally, the fact mm-hmm. that he would um, use Venezuelans as a political pawn is really um, deplorable to me that he would do that, you know, that he would use people in that way. And, you know, these are people who profess to be Christians, to be of the Christian faith. And, you know, so it's like, what would Jesus do? Would he send them by bus or plane? Like, you know, come on now. Like, this is not, um, this is, I think, a very um, dehumanizing thing that he's doing. Uh, and it's, and he's really, you know, trying to score political points because he's clearly running for president. So, <laughs> well, one of the things that's been, that's been reported is that, you know, Beth O'Rourke, you know, was, was using the, the, the busing of undocumented immigrants uh, to other states as, uh, or he was talking about Operation Lone Star, uh, uh, Greg Abbott's uh, Im- immigration uh, program. Uh, and he was, he was, using that uh in his in his advertising and it just wasn't it really wasn't playing you know that because people generally speaking in the state supported the idea uh i mean that the idea of this republican governor being really aggressive uh in dealing with um migrants coming to the border was was is fairly popular in the state and it just wasn't, it wasn't resonating in the way that, uh, that Beth O'Rourke wanted. And so he kind of backed off of that. Um, and so, I mean, this is probably not something you, you dealt with in the, in the campaigns yeah. you were dealing, you were working on, but I think that that's turned out to be kind of a problematic issue because yeah. in the same, we, we saw the same thing with Ron DeSantis in Florida. You know, we, I mean, we, many people in the state looked at the idea of him sending people into San Antonio and, and busing them to Martha's Vineyard and, and many people were horrified. But uh, based on the results in Florida, it, yeah. it, it seemed to play pretty well there. But, you know, Texas is a big state, as we like to say. It's like yeah. a whole other country. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think what happens along the border of Texas and the attitudes and feelings that people have along the border are very different than what they feel in San Antonio, sure. what they feel in Dallas. And so, you know, I, I I could understand why, you know, Beto may have backed off on that. Um, but. I, I definitely feel that when you appeal to sort of this human aspect of people, the fact that you're using them as political pawns, these immigrants, I think it's just mm. I, 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 at some point, <laughs> mm. at some point, when is the moral compass going to like mm. kick in? Yeah. I, I, and I don't know when that happens. Like yeah. I, I just I, I've I'm and as I talk about the disinformation earlier, it's like I feel like this this moral compass of politics has just been thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very, very concerning to me. Like at what point do we, you know, I mean, who's to say whose morals are right or who morals are wrong? But it just I feel like this is all just morally wrong. It just feels yeah. wrong. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels wrong. Yeah. 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 Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, about. Um, the upcoming municipal elections, because you've worked on a lot of those, and oh, yes. we're just beginning to think about those. I think a, m- most of us probably assume that Ron Nuremberg is going to have an easy time getting elected to uh, a fourth term. But I wonder if, if, you know, it's kind of early to ask this, but it, it, do you see any potential surprises? Do you see any incumbents who could be, uh, uh, who could have some challenges? No, I mean, I think, you know, 
Anna Sandoval in District 7 hasn't officially announced that she's running for re-election. At least I don't think she's done. I've been gone for a few days, but I don't think she's officially announced. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see. If, you know, she's just had I a baby. She, is, and so, yeah. she hasn't yes, announced it, but I think she is. She yeah. is. Okay. Yeah. So that's one that we were kind of watching to see. Is she, is she going to do it or not do it? Um, and if she weren't to do it, what would that mean for District 7? Obviously, in District 1, um, there's going to be quite a few challengers there. Um, Mario Bravo. Mar yeah. Against Mario Bravo, yeah. So we're, we're seeing some of that. I've heard rumblings in District 2 against Jalen there's some possible um, folks talking over there in that mm -hmm. in, in that area uh, and of course in 10 yeah um, wide open at this point I, although I would not discount Perry running mm -hmm. I mean I, I you know we've seen the redemption redemption arc <laughs> more than once in our political lives uh, happen so, it's so very do you think I mean okay so we're talking about uh, District 10 Council Member Clayton Perry, who's yeah. been charged with hit and run. Uh, he's very likely to be charged with driving under the influence for an incident for an accident he caused on uh, no, the night of November 6th. Does he have? Do you think he has, Does he have any kind of political future at all, or is he done? I I don't think he's done. I don't really? think he's done. Um, Why not? I because I've seen other political folks come back from far worse. Right. Right. <laughs> Locally? Maybe not locally, like, like, maybe uh, not locally, but <laughs> okay. um, you know, I I I think ultimately it, it's it's strange. Voters are strange creatures, right? Uh, it's mm. like, well, is he doing his job? Is he you know delivering yeah. for the for the community? Right. Um, and they can tend to you know for, do a little forgiving or look the other way right. uh, if they're getting their streets and drainage but and things done. Can but, they yeah. can they look away from the body cam video that? SAPD released of yeah. the 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 officer that night interviewing uh, right. Clayton Perry, who appeared to be intoxicated in his backyard. He had a head wound. He, they, right. The officer found him kind of prone on the ground. Can you can you come back from that? I mean, it's 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 a pretty powerful piece of video. It is a very powerful piece of footage, but I would. I would answer your question with a question. And that is. But I'm and not going to answer is. that. I won't answer that question. No, no, no. So I'll no, answer no. yours with a question. Right. Okay, let's do this. How long we can go? Um, but who votes? Yeah. Who votes? Yeah. Right. If if this was a if this was a yeah, but, yeah, I mean, but who votes really? Right. Like who in District Ten is voting? Uh -huh. And of those people that vote, do, does that matter to them? Mm -hmm. It may or may not. Right. You know, I don't know the answer to that. He, he may seek redemption. He may find the help that he needs. I will tell you, just me personally watching that video, and mm -hmm. I'm not friends with Clayton, but you know, we're acquaintances. I see mm -hmm. him at events, and we chit chat, and we chit joke and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It, was it was just yeah. it was just excruciating. And honestly, I didn't want to watch it, but mm -hmm. I. Feel felt as what I do for a career, like I had to watch it. Mm. Um, and it was excruciating. It was awful. It mm. was just the worst thing. But it also seemed but, like he knew what how to answer the questions that were being asked. Mm. And and I talked to some friends that are in the law enforcement. And I said, do me a favor, watch this. Oh, no, 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 watch it. No, just watch it. Mm. Tell me what you think. Did this law enforcement officer, because I said, was this privilege or procedure? Mm -hmm. What was it? Right. They watched it and said, it was procedure. Like, mm -hmm. the officer did exactly what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and I asked mm -hmm. a couple of folks. And I thought, my God. It just, and, the, and they would say things like, and he knew exactly how to answer. Right. So, right. And it was just but like, you're talking about him mm -hmm. saying, no, I didn't do it. I wasn't there. I was here. Or I was having a good time. Well, yeah, every time yeah. they asked, yeah. where were you? Where, where, asking for, for locations, he would just stop himself and he would say, I had a good time. Or, you know, and that was, that was, there was some awareness, like, there I can't say too much. awareness there, which makes yeah. me even, you know, which 
I don't know. Can people look away from that? Can they? Uh. I mean, this video is pr pretty damning. Um, mm. But, you know, folks have come away from a lot work. In fact, we have this joke in the Valley when we used to do a lot. I used to do a lot of work in the Valley. Mm. Um, <laughs> so we'd get a client and be like, okay, what's their mugshot look like? Because everyone in the valley's <laughs> yeah. been arrested. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It was a, I mean, it was a joke, but it, the series like, did they look good in their mugshot? Yeah. Uh, because I mean, and so people come back from that stuff all the time. Right. I think there's also a thing. I'm, I'm, no, I was ahead. just gonna say that that I think when people are under a, attack, either by the media or whatever, there, there's a sense that people that they're under attack. Mm -hmm. It can have the effect. You talk about voters being strange. Uh, the effect of having pe making people rally around them. I mean, Mario Bravo was was getting a lot of criticism from the mayor and others yeah. because of the the sort of verbal attack that he he launched against uh, Anna Sandoval uh, before a council meeting in September. The people who showed up, you didn't have people showing up and saying. How did, you know, you should be ashamed, Mario Bravo. They were all defending him. And of course, yeah. there were, his parents were among those. Right, but, right, right. but still, with Clayton Perry, people they they came and said, well, I, I'm not happy about what happened, but he's been a good right. counselman. And, and there was some sense, somebody told me that that when, uh, it's, it's not a comparable situation, but when Lisa Chan many years ago right. was caught on tape saying some, some, uh, insensitive to put it mildly, uh, yeah. insensitive things about, um, LGBTQ, uh, uh, people, she uh, that she got like thousands of emails of support after right. that. And again, it's not the same thing as a hit and run. I understand right, right, that, right, 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 but right. I'm just saying, I think the, the the what you is common is that both of them were under attack. The media was kind of focusing a lot of attention on it, and there's mm -hmm. some. I think there's something in yeah. in, uh, in voters to want to like rally behind that person that they feel this. Oh, everybody's beating up on this person, so I'm right. gonna. And you can't underestimate his likability. Mm -hmm. He's just a likable guy. Like you know, irrespective. Even right. like before this event, obviously we can mm -hmm. make different assessments now post this thing happening. But you know, probably he was just he was always such a likable guy, right? Um, and just you know, always full of life. So I, you know, I don't think you can discount that likability as well. The fact um, the fact that he didn't even acknowledge that there was a victim in this case that exactly. he actually struck a car with a human being in yes. it. <laughs> it took him yeah. eight days to do that, and it was in the context of him trying to you know kind of blunt the city council vote. Uh, yeah. calling for his resignation and a vote of no confidence. Yeah, I definitely think from a crisis management perspective, it was handled completely wrong uh -huh. and sort of hiding and, and taking the time, not acknowledging the victim. Right. Like that, there was a lot of problems when it came to how you deal with these mm -hmm. crises. Uh, right. So definitely, definitely so, missteps but there. Do you think, but, I mean, does that, does that hurt his likability at all? I, I don't know. I, I I think it's I think time will tell. That's something mm -hmm. that will. Yeah, I think as he begins to emerge from this, um, you know, how will he emerge? Will he emerge someone that shows um, remorse, mm -hmm. or will he be someone that's kind of a little cocky and kind of like, yeah, I got away with it, right? Like, I think I think time will tell. I mean, you know, it's pretty clear Mike Gallagher is going to be. Um, former Councilman Gallagher is going to be taking his place. I think that's pretty clear. And then the question becomes, will Gallagher run again? Right. Mm. He always says, oh, I'm not going to run, but mm, come on now. Like, I, you know, whether or not he chooses to run again, yeah. I think it's going to make a big difference in yeah. whether or not Perry can mm. have a comeback. Right. Um, but again, and, and his redemption arc could maybe not that he comes back as a council member, but he could come back as, mm. you know, anything else, really. Right. He can, you know. 
Yeah. And he was actually one of the people uh, interested in running for county commissioner, that, that Trish yeah. seat that I mentioned. He was at that event that I, that I pointed out. And he, right. Ultimately, he kind of he kind of pulled out of the race uh, toward the end, but he was interested in that. Right. So. And again, that commissioner's race will be up again in two years mm-hmm. because it was a because Trish left, it will come back up in two years. And so we'll see an interesting uh election going on there with the Republicans to see who they end up pulling out as their nominee. Laura, so. thank you so much for being on our podcast. Oh, you welcome. Always, but I brought a gift. You did well. Oh, but so, uh, this is supposed to be. Is this Christmas? Is this? Uh, well, this is. Uh, uh, this, this only makes something. sense if if Carrie were here. But well, go ahead and open is. it. Okay, um, well, you do it. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Right. Oh you my gosh, it's your podcast. Open it. Luis is like, just open it already. And and. Here we go. Oh my God, this is perfect. <laughs> okay, anybody who read uh, well, uh, who, who read Carrie's recent Carrie column will definitely get that or, because none of us are gonna anybody what? anybody who reads Carrie's uh, work and, and read, follows him on social media knows. It's how much he's going to love this fruitcake. No, cake. but we, we should just like break it open right now. And when he comes back in a week, it'll still be good. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe if it takes a month off, it'll still be good. Carrie, hope you're listening and watching. And uh, this is for you. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thanks.